Welcome to this episode of the Founder Tech Decoded podcast. I am delighted on this episode to be talking to Gemstein of Daring Capital that is recently launched to rethink the social enterprise space. Social enterprise has come up a few times on the podcast because it directly correlates to founder tech's, I guess, agenda and preference to allocate capital efficiently, no matter where that extraordinary early stage founder is um, under the premise that that's in the interest of the founder and also of aligned investors who want to back things early. This is particularly the case in the social enterprise space where biases and pre-existing networks really come into play and sort of hinder new new people coming into the space who are trying to access that type of capital quickly. So into this, Gem steps uh, with this new venture, Daring Capital, um, and a history of working in the space over a decade in the space, which I'm sure he will tell us about, um, to really try and rethink and remodel how social enterprise can basically recalibrate the way capital allocates and flows. So Gem, Really, real pleasure to have you on the podcast and the opportunity to delve into this subject, which has come up a few times, but we've never really done a full episode on it. Thanks for having me. So do you want to tell us why you think the social enterprise model is uh, is, is in need of a, of, a, of a rethink and why you're the person to do it? Yeah, I'll, I'll take your first question <laughs> first. So I think the the honest answer is you know there there are a lot of really good social enterprises out there there are a lot of really good purpose-driven businesses um they're creating really great impact but what we're not seeing is growth from them really we're not seeing catalytic capital coming in and saying okay we can come in and support you to grow and deliver impact and returns at a bigger scale most social enterprises start small and stay small of course we can name a handful that have done better than that but you know literally a handful and so what we're looking to do is really say okay why is that what are the structural problems preventing purpose-driven businesses and social enterprises from growing and what, what we want to do is come in and solve that so one of the big issues is access to capital now, that may sound really obvious. Of course, every business in every sector would probably say access to capital is an issue for us, particularly at the moment. The difference with social enterprise is that there is actually a lot of capital out there that has been repurposed for social investing. It's just not getting to the right places, whether that's big society capital, access or foundations who are starting to use their endowment to invest in social enterprises there is more and more money out there. And there is a greater awareness, even from private investors, that they wanna see social impact with their money. What's not happening is that capital's not being directed to the right places. And that was really, really borne out by the Adebowale report, which came out last summer. And that found that the social investment market was, quote unquote, in need of structural reform. Um, so what we want to do is really tackle that early stage issue. So if you're an early stage social enterprise, most of the big social investors, big, uh, big issue invest, 
Charities Aid Foundation, they won't touch you. You need to have that track record. But how do you generate that track record? You need some investment, right, to get you going. And there just isn't that pool of money. So what happens is the ones, the few that do well are those like me that had good networks that could raise money from private capital, from my networks originally. And what we want to do is really come in and say, okay, you don't have to have a friends and family round, right? And bear in mind, friends and family round, we're not talking... 100 quid 500 quid you're talking like tens of thousands of pounds you don't have to have that to get going we're going to replace that we will be kind of daring angels we'll come in and say okay what support do you need what finance do you need for the most talented social entrepreneurs you don't need to have rich friends and family we will support your business to grow through capital and through other in-kind support um, but primarily capital uh, to scale so that's the problem that we're trying to solve and we're really trying to take a founder focused approach to it okay so there's 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 loads there we will come up back to why why you're the person or a person to t- take this on um because it, it it does sort of as you say the systemic problem um here is so prevalent and the and the and the way that the networks and the biases flow in those networks is 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 a huge problem and that vicious cycle of how do you demonstrate traction without that initial capital to demonstrate that traction is like you know, in, in a way, you see it in like, you know, like um, in homelessness, like how do you get off the street if unless you've got somewhere to get off the street, you know, that's safe, they can enable you to mm-hmm. flourish. And so it's almost like what you say is the same problem. How do you get that initial bit of capital if you don't have your friends and family or don't want to ask your friends and family um, and, and in order to demonstrate that initial traction? And like you said, if you don't have lots of sort of social enterprise founders being able to do that then you don't get the growth you don't get the scale and the whole thing suffers so can you talk us through um because you called it a, a syndicate a daring a syndicate like and and what we're seeing is that the syndicate model is 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 part of the founder tech sort of like um infrastructure that coming in and people acting as syndicates quicker and leveraging sort of you know legal tech um tools to, to make decisions quicker does start to step in and solve that liquidity problem in the early stage space. Why did you say a syndicate rather than, you know, another sort of structure? What, why, why does daring work like that? I think, you know, being blunt, we're too daring to be a fund at this point, right? You know, to, to you know, the, the unit economics of a fund mean you need about, well, estimates vary, but most people would say you need it probably about 10 million as a minimum threshold stuff. Yeah. I'm going out and saying we'll do something completely different. <laughs> We're going to invest in founders that no one else is looking at. Um, I'd take a founder-focused approach. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to be, at this stage, I'm not going to be able to raise 10 million. And to be honest, it I don't really need to either. Um, it comes with a lot more regulation, a lot more responsibility. Yeah. It's much slower. There's so many funds that might get to 500 a, grand, uh, 500 a million, 2 million. And then two, three years later, they've not deployed any capital yet. So with a syndicate, it's less regulation. You can get them together. There is all these this tech out there, whether it's Seed Legals, Odin, that allow you to syndicate much, much more easily than you could a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and if you have a really good process and investors that trust you, then it's actually relatively straightforward to do and relatively cheap to actually run a manager syndicate and that way you build the track record i'm not sure we'll ever go down the fund route but if we did in a few years time hopefully we'll have a track record that can show okay 
look at the great companies we've created. Syndicates or, I mean, you, you do get EIS and SEIS funds. Um, my impression, particularly of SEIS funds, is they're quite hard to manage yeah. because of the time yeah. frame. So if you really want to emphasize the benefits of EIS and SEIS for investors, which we do, a syndicate, I think, is a bit easier. Um, and the final reason is for un- overlooked founders, we really wanted to get not all angels, not all the investors, but a certain group of angels, you know, find them specialist angels who are involved. Yeah. And that just that link is much stronger if you've got a direct investment in something than if you invested via fund. No, I, t- I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, I, I totally sort of put all the chips down on that model in, in this space. I think the syndicate structure is is totally on point. And I think like you can even go micro syndicates, right? If you if you model it, it's like there's a there's a there's a sort of macro syndicate. And then inside that, the investments are being formed by micro syndicates. We we know that at least 80% of deal flow is, is generated through sort of these micro syndicates of people flicking deal flow to each other. And we know that in this sort of um, in this kind of degree of capital, you're generally wanting two to one to three people. So obviously one person's not a syndicate, but like to, let's say one to like three people syndicates like acting quickly through some of the instruments, like you said, like Seed Legals, Odin, acting quickly and stepping in quickly. And and what we're finding is that there's actually starting to become a status within those syndicates of finding unusual deal flow or finding uh, really like founders with with potential who are sort of operating in these kind of vertical niches, scalable niches is another way people, people could talk about it. That isn't that aren't in typical dip, uh, pitch decks that aren't in typical deal flow, and therefore there's a status of these syndicates to be able to find deals that they're really aligned with, move deploy move and deploy capital really quickly into those syndicates, and therefore there's like this kind of like us A and B us and them look at the way we behave compared to the way traditional angels or funds have behaved, and I think that's really positive. I think that's that that behavioural change as so much of founder tech is behavioural. The, uh, rather than technological, that is 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 what's why there's now change possible. What do you, do you agree with that? Like a building on on, on what we're saying about or you were saying about syndicates. Do you do you agree with that kind of next iteration of it? Yeah, absolutely. And angels have got you know people don't talk. Everyone when talk people talk about how bad the market is, people don't talk about the fact that well actually wealthy people have got more money than ever before. Yeah. Um, and you know, the tax breaks are more generous and more easy to access than ever before. And actually, the fact that that means valuations have come down makes it a little bit more appealing for angels, I think, than it may have done a couple of years ago. So, look, I'm an optimist, and maybe that's not too optimistic a slant. But there are there are also those trends that, you know, when everyone talks about how bad the market is to raise funding, they don't think about actually angel activity or look at angel stats. Yeah, I, I, I actually... You know, think there is a new breed of angel emerging that is that is tuned into all of this, and it's you know, it's ex-founders, solo capitalists. Is all, all of it because because these tools broadly bunch. If we you know this podcast under the term of founder tech are becoming normalized, you're seeing a mm. new crop of angels, or you know, early stage investors, and a lot of like what they're trying to they are valuing making money do more. It's come up again and again on this kind of a series of the podcast making not just being efficient but valuing founders that can do more with less by leveraging these tools and we talk about things like it used to be status of having a large team right raising a large amount of capital building a product raising and that is like being eroded by actually you know in the last podcast we were like talking about what if your first round is your final round what if that that founder with fractional team could scale something really quickly 
And then what if you reframe, we had like Joe um, Lewin from Foundy, like what if an exit isn't, you know, multiple in the hundreds of millions, but in several million after two or three years of solving a really hard problem, like there's status in that, there's value in that for everybody involved. How, how do you think that that could kind of apply to the social enterprise space? Because we've never done that directly on, on, on this series. I think that it probably applies more strongly to social enterprises, but they don't really realise it yet. I mean, because there aren't, to, to my knowledge, there aren't really syndicates or groups really focusing on purpose-driven founders, on social enterprises, social entrepreneurs. What we want to try and do is try and access some of that capital and say, look, you know, you can, why don't you come on board and you can invest in stuff that's also going to do good, going to have a social purpose in addition to that. And so it's a really untapped market, both on the social enterprise side, but also on the private capital side. Um, I don't know, you know, there's a few syndicates doing it for much later stage companies in specific areas. There's obviously a few VCs doing it. But, you know, impact syndicates are not really a thing yeah. to my knowledge yeah. from my research. So it's a massive untapped market that we're trying to, to tap, really. Yeah. So you mentioned founder first. I just wanted to check what you mean by that, because my definition of that is um, a founder market fit approach. That, that actually you're just trying to find the right founder, fixing the right problem in the right way at the, at the right time. It doesn't really mean much more than that. Um what do you mean when you say, and also then attach that is like, if you apply that model, there's plenty of extraordinary town founders that are lying latent, you know, in the, in the ecosystem, in the entrepreneurial sort of like balance sheet that aren't being uncovered. What do you mean when you say founder first? Um, so I'm probably talking about something even more rudimentary than what you're looking at, although maybe the elements of it as well. So when you look at, the, so again, the, there was the Adabawale Commission on Social Investment. It was a big report that came out a couple of years ago. When you look at that report, they use the phrase, social finance is not social enterprise centric, right? It's not built around the needs of social enterprise. And when you look at the products, which is usually like a very homogenous range of products, as again, the, the commission touches upon, it is essentially most providers are providing a debt product where there is usually at the moment probably a seven to nine percent interest rate um and you usually get six to 12 month repayment capital repayment holiday at the beginning now that doesn't work for growth companies right i'm not again this is not groundbreaking insight that you know high debt short-term um short repayment holiday capital doesn't work the only the, the models it works for are if you have a property backed uh thing you need to need to buy a building or something yeah. or you have a public sector contract where you just need the cash up front but you know you've got the contract coming they it works for that but that's a very very narrow use cases there's nothing innovative really about those uses and what we're trying to say is okay right rather than having just these like very homogenous debt products what type of capital do you need as a business right nothing terribly groundbreaking about that in theory but in the social investment sector that's wild um and so what we want to say is okay what is you know what do you need as a founder what do you need as a business to actually grow your business and so that that's the one part of it and the second part of it's probably closest to what you mean and that is again we want to take a we're looking at early stage businesses right 
not terribly radical, but we want to take a founder first approach. So a, maybe a bit like your founder market fit idea, which is what what makes you the right person to deliver this? How are you going to, you know, are you really engaged with this issue? We don't really want to invest in founders that have woken up one morning, um, decided that homelessness is the topic for them and they want to try and solve it. We want to invest in founders that are really deeply embedded in their community, in the community they're trying to support and therefore really understand the problem they're trying to solve and really understand how that manifests itself in a founder because that will make a better founder a more determined founder if they're really passionate about it so that's what i mean by a founder focused approach we are we need spreadsheets but we're not going to take a spreadsheet first approach you know you're not going to submit a long application form with very detailed models first we might get to doing modeling at some point but really you know are you super passionate about this business do you really understand the customer and you really understand the the problem you're trying to solve not terribly radical in the commercial space very radical in social investment so let's let's just practically look at that so i'm a founder i you know i i'm i am what you were just describing how are you evaluating that like how do i meet you get in touch with you and then how do you begin to evaluate that i am that founder that someone is someone that you feel is ready like could you just talk us through that like you can a real example or theoretical of how that might work yeah so look that's um a really good question and in all honesty i'm still trying to figure this right. out um it's one of those you know it when you see it how do you talk about that in the abstract so i think what you want to see is somebody so Let's talk about a real example. It might be might be slightly easier. Um, one of the businesses we're currently raising for is called Kind House. Um, it's a flexible childcare solution. It's founded by a young mum in Hackney called Anne Marie. They basically have realised that childcare is very expensive, but also very inflexible. You have to spend twenty. You know, you have to commit to twenty five hours a week minimum, three months at a time. Doesn't work for part timers, flexible workers, freelancers, etc um and marie is a young mum from hackney she has run a pilot in hackney with her local community right she really is ingrained in that community of mothers in hackney she has shown that she's very dedicated to this because you know she's managed to sort of get a lot of people involved in the pilot um and she's re i mean again that does touch on traction but you wouldn't necessarily need that there are other ways of showing that you're you're really dedicated to it and that ingrainedness in her local community really like that that really lends itself to saying okay i really understand my target market in hackney and i really understand the problem i'm trying to solve for them because these are my friends my family the people i live with i live around um and she really has that kind of quite unusual insight into a problem and the determination to want to fix it how we assess that in the abstract is is quite tricky we're really looking for someone's individual track record how well they know their community, how well they understand that problem. It often comes out in when you talk to them, you know, what is the community you're trying to serve? Why do you care about this? What is the problem you're trying to solve for them? And really getting to grips with that for them to see how well they've thought about that and they understand it often comes out in that. But yeah, I'm new I'm new to trying to think about it and assess it. And maybe, maybe yeah, I'd be interested in your perspective. How do you assess that? Yeah, so we have been looking at um, the, the, the same founder, basically. I just haven't been looking at it through a social enterprise uh, model. 
Um, but I have been searching and modeling that with my uh, old accelerator propeller. We were looking at this. The way way we would model it was very similar. Um, but some of our initial modeling was um, examples of like um, dealing with uncertainty. Like so, we would call that like turbulence, right? Um, an ability to kind of um, communicate the next uh, iterative stages with clarity. So we'd like look at t- trajectory. Um, is there, are they able to kind of communicate the new space in a compelling way? So like terrain, um, there was a third one, there's a fourth one, but uh, which I, which I, I, I can, I can try to bring up, bring up. But the point being was, is that um, you, you mentioned it, you have to look at um, a journey into that space. I think over like five years, like at least, like there has to be a complex relationship with the space and you have to be able to visibly see that you're not trying to back a person that's just had the idea down a pub, as, as you refer to. That's not interesting. What you're looking for founders who are ingrained in that space, um, but can demonstrate sort of capacity and robustness over, like I said, uncertainty, ability to communicate, you know, the networks that they're in, how they perform, reputational capital. I mean, all of that is is founder market mm. fit. But um, yeah, I, th- I think that those founders are the future. I think they are the other part of this puzzle. Like if you look at the syndicate, we describe how that works. The founders that are are that are the hidden, uncovered potential of the market. Um, and as, as mentioned before, that doesn't have to mean like a unicorn status. Although more and more people believe that you will start to see really high scale companies with a very few people running them, um, which is interesting. Um, but it does mm. mean people who, when you talk to them, um, this is why we leverage video. You know, like when people tell you their story, that you, you can't, you can't, and if they are exhibiting these these signs and these patterns, then they are at least worth consideration. So that's like for me, that's be the way that I would kind of evaluate and maybe demarcate between is this founder interesting. The way you then test that founder, in my experience, is you develop a very short sprint that is very practical. It's agreed between investor and founder, right? It's agreed, okay, over the next three months, we're going to achieve this. Now, that often isn't product or revenue driven. It might be demonstrating that reputational capital or demonstrating that ability to do a talk or, you know, increasing increasing awareness. And you then you you design that sprint as bespoke to that investor and that founder around the space that they're trying to tackle. And then you evaluate the founder on the basis of that sprint. And what we found is really good founders that are the ones that you and I are now talking about are really, really comfortable doing that. They want to be evaluated in that way through that sprint. They want feedback. They want they want to be helped, um, but they also are off you know off their own sort of fuel. They also know where they're going and what they want to achieve. And it's like if you gave me fifteen grand, which is still a lot of money in that set, I I could do these remarkable things with this. I I know, I know exactly how I would deploy that capital. And so it's like that sprint that turns the theory into the practice. That's the, in, in in our in our view. That's that's how I would approach it. Mm, yeah, I really like that idea. It and it kind of I like the idea that it sort of flips on its head the idea that you need an eighteen month runway to get going. You know, which you know you probably are this and in, in these days you're probably like twelve months down the line before you've even raised yeah. that. So you've got six months left anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like that idea, and it's also good for investors because they can say okay well put a little bit in yeah and see how we go yeah yeah and for a syndicate it's great because you can report in every couple of weeks right and if you've got these micro syndicates the investor wants mm-hmm. that call 
a good investor wants that call. Even if it hasn't gone to plan, if you've got a good relationship going on there, they want that call. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, you know, you know, you said I was going to go up to Manchester and we and we go, we're going to that conference and the aim was to kind of connect with those two people. But it went terribly, but it went terribly for a mm-hmm. reason. Do you know what I mean? And then someone actually said, do you know what? I, I know someone who knows that person. Let's circle back and try again this way. Every, every, every good investor and every good founder, as long as it's managed and it doesn't spill into chaos, wants that mm. relationship. And like, we, you know, mm. it's not rocket science, but most, most angels and most capital wants to abstract that relationship, hence default into product market fit and all those lenses because it's easier to abstract and then dismiss the founder because they don't want to deal with it. But what you've got in founder tech is a realization that really, really good deal flow that has a future to really sort of own a space comes from these founders, not not from the people doing just-in-time groceries, you know, just to be facetious. Like, no one needs that, right? But it feels like lots of pitch pitch techs are orientated to another just-in-time grocery model and needs a huge amount of capital to even begin to penetrate the market. Like, that's how is that interesting (laughs) unless you're playing that game at that scale? And so it is a good mm. scale is really important here, I think. Yeah, particularly in what you're doing when it's purpose driven. You know, like you have to get to get to that the scale at which the founder wants to operate and the capital has to align with that. that those are those Absolutely. are my thoughts. So anyway, I know. Yeah, totally agree. And it makes me also think of like um the addressable market conversation. Yeah. I think there's a real tendency towards saying, you know, I've seen so many decks that have like our addressable market is like eighty billion. Yeah. You know, because we're going to reach as many uh, many people as possible. What actually I think the most convincing business models have been, you know, going back to the Kindhouse example, actually we have quite a narrow addressable market. But the good thing about it is, it's quite niche. Not many people understand it, and therefore not many other people are trying to do exactly. this. And it could still be, we could be a you know seven figure turnover. Is it going to be a five hundred million exit at some point? Probably not. Yeah. Almost certainly yeah. not. But we could really dominate this space quite exactly. quickly because not many people understand it and not many people are doing it. To go back to your groceries idea, your groceries example as a last minute groceries example, you know, I mean, it's like it just were only things that took off and crashed as almost as yeah, to, crashed as quickly as it took off. You know, whereas if you'd had a much narrower concept really focused on building in that, yeah. I think, you know, those businesses can be really effective. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting. Like what would a just-in-time groceries business have looked like through that much narrower lens that was embedded in the community, mm-hmm. you know, and embedded and yeah. embedded in helping people who couldn't get to the supermarket and, you know, those networks that support those people. And yeah, suddenly that model, which is an interesting model, becomes even more interesting. One one phrase that somebody else has used is instead of addressable market, it's like adjacent market. So it's like what's the, the what's the once you get a mm-hmm. foothold in this niche, what's the adjacent opportunity that then becomes possible? Um, and the growth comes mm. from that. And I, I thought that was quite an interesting phrase. I mean, this stuff is so interesting once you get your head around it because none of this is, you know, as we've said, it's not rocket science. It's applying common sense, but it's also to do with the market timing and conditions uh, being making that common sense valuable if you know, like, and possible. And that's why I think it, it's becoming interesting. It's like if we'd have had this conversation three years ago, people, oh, yeah, that sounds really great. Jim and Dan, like you sound, you sound like you've got really uh, good intentions, but so what? Mm. But if you're sitting there going, I've got a diminishment of opportunity in my funnel, I need to deploy capital, I need to use these tools, how do I do that? Then suddenly what you're doing becomes like really relevant and interesting. Do you see what I mean? Because you've got to try and solve that problem 
and deploy some capital in that way to get to even get to the opportunities. And that's where it becomes economically efficient rather than just socially sort of desirable. And do, 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 do you get what I mean? Like that feels like the threshold Absolutely. we're in. Absolutely. And the and the the other thing is that these businesses get set up and run all the time. They just it's not a venture model. It doesn't it doesn't happen within the venture model. You know, people set up local businesses all the time that grow and do do this in a more kind of slow but deliberate way rather than just raising a pile of money. You know, that that is a very common way of setting up businesses. It's it's just that the venture model has gone to the opposite extreme a lot. And I think one of the other conversations I have around this is people ask, well, is there a, you know, is there a discount between, is, is there a trade-off between social impact and returns? And this is a relevant conversation to I'm talking about here. And and the, re- the response that I have to that is, yes, there, there absolutely is. But that's only if you're comparing returns to, you know, venture back models, and that's only again those there's only a very small right. number of venture back businesses generate those right. returns and only you know this we're talking about like such a small number of businesses that you're looking for here who who fit that model and purpose driven businesses in in a kind of normal world outside that can be quite competitive on returns they're just not going to be you know if you're if you're looking for the next b2b saas model that's going to do 10x in the next 4 years it's not going to it's not going to be a real purpose driven organization if you're an angel and you're looking for you know a more normal business to grow in a more normal way then purpose driven models can definitely fit within that um so it it really depends on what lens you're coming at that conversation through yeah i mean it's, it, it, we could go on for another half an hour just on that but <laughs> let, let as as we just kind of get into time to wrap up let's go back to the the, the first question so why are you trying to fix this? Let's give it get a sense of that. And then what's what are you doing with daring? What does it look like as you come into 2024? And how, if people were listening to this, you know, with a social enterprise, how do they reach to you? So let's let's try and wrap with with that. Sure. Yeah. So I wouldn't say I'm the person to do it. I'm a person having a crash sure. in it. Uh, and the I think the the reason I having a go at it is because there's in the social investment space, there's very few founders. There's very few people that have worked on the other side. And actually going back to my original point, creating founder focused finance with a founder focused approach, actually being a founder myself gives me the ability to do that. In addition to that, I have, you know, as you know, you need deal flow and you need investors to do this business. And I, I'm fortunate to have both. I have a good network of social entrepreneurs from my time, and I know where to find them from my time running a social enterprise. And I have a good network of investors, again, from my time running a social enterprise, but also sitting on social investment committees. So, you know, I'm in an unusual position to bring those two together with that founder-focused approach. In terms of how businesses can get involved, we are currently looking for our next cohort. You can go to daringcapital.co.uk it's a very short form you can apply in whatever way you want we accept videos we accept pitch decks we accept business plans um we've had some animations you don't have to do an animation um but yeah you pick the format we don't want you to create something specifically for us you just put your main details in upload your your deck or business plan or whatever uh, and we'll come back to you shortly so just to just to conclude i want to if, if i'm a founder listening to this 
and I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if this is me. Like, I, I'm actually fixing a problem. I really understand it. Like, what what would you say to that fan to encourage them to say, no, you you, sh- you could at least this is worth at least a conversation. And equally, if there's an investor thinking, yeah, there sounds like opportunity here, and it sounds like opportunity linked to my value systems. Maybe I should get involved in this. What would you say to encourage that those people just to cross the line into this space? Like, is there something they could read? That maybe the report is not the easiest place to start. I haven't read it, but we'll definitely link to it in the show notes. But where where would they start? Just to kind of think. Actually, yeah, I really like what Jem's saying. It sounds really interesting. What what some things that they can kind of tune into um, that that might be interesting? Mm. That's it. Yeah, interesting thought. Um, so there's a whole movement around like considered capital run by a friend of mine, Esme. I give her a shout out. She does lots of blogs and thinking in this space and classes. Um, she also has a good course that you can do. Um, I, I'm not just shouting out my friend. No, go for it. I go, know what they're doing. Um, my friend Emma Shaw um, from Library of Things has a really interesting blog yep. on this, on this stuff. Um, uh, particularly the, yeah, so she talks about um, a fair return, which is really about like the idea that, okay, we need to be honest that there is a bit of a trade-off. So yeah. around between returns and impact. You know, she talks about a 2x return rather than a 5x Indeed, return. Yeah. Um, so she she's spoken quite articulately about that. I'd say, yeah, they're both really interesting people that you can check out. The Adabawala Commission has a summary on its webpage that it'll take less than a minute to read. Okay. Um, so you don't need to like read the whole report. They have put it into a, a short format. Um, and of course, you can get in touch with me and we can have a chat, um, whether you're a founder or an investor and happy to talk it through with you. Brilliant. Well, I think we just sort of dipped, dipped our toe into this. And um, and, and I think people listening to this, is it, it really is a fascinating area. And I think once you get your head around it, it's, there's just, it's just ripe, ripe and rife with opportunity. So thanks, Jen, for sort of giving us a, a sense of that. Um, it's been really, really interesting. And I, I really appreciate your time. No worries. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for um, having me. I've really enjoyed it. And yeah, definitely like to pick this conversation up again. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded.